Thank you all for <clears throat> being here today. This place is really nothing except when it's filled with your energy. And boy, do we need opportunities to be with other people in a peaceful, quiet way. It can be done. It can be done. We can come together and just sit quietly together and practice peace. So this is an important place, uh, not just because it's my place, but because (laughs) it's a place where people can come to be peaceful and practice this way, this beautiful way of Buddhist practice. Last week, I ended my talk with um, an invitation to practice guerrilla Zen. And I noticed that there was there were a lot of puzzled faces uh, when I spoke about guerrilla Zen. And it occurred to me that it may have been interpreted as guerrilla Zen. <laughs> G-O-R-I-L-L-A, Zen. (laughs) And that kind of uh, stayed with me. And I thought, you know, why is everybody looking so strangely at me? (laughs) But the, the word that I was looking for was, or offering, was gorilla in the sense of G U E R I L L A. That is uh, a kind of a secret (laughs) underground kind of Zen, (laughs) where I had just come from Japan, where the practice uh, of Buddhism uh, was very obvious. It was absolutely dramatic, uh, that it was very clear that, that people were practicing Zen because they were in a monastery, <laughs> and they were in robes, and they were they were um, prostrating, and they were holding services, and so <clears throat> it was quite obvious that they were doing something of a spiritual nature. But Coben, who is our lineage holder, spoke about gorilla Zen, that is Zen that isn't so obvious, um, and. You know, this Mahayana way is uh, the great the great way. It's not a narrow way. It's not the monastic way. It's not, um, it's not one in which you, you have to um, be a cleric or a monk to practice in the most profound and deepest, deepest way that you can. That is... This, this great highway, this, this great highway that we're all on, it's not a narrow path. It's the Mahayana is the open path. So that <clears throat> there are all kinds of practitioners on this great highway. You could say that there are the SUVs and the big trucks that, <laughs> that are very obvious and dominating. And maybe then the, there are, you know, Mini Coopers that, that are traveling along this way, and there are bicycles, and there are scooters, and there are all kinds of ways of practicing Zen. And some some practitioners are just walking; they're they're not in any particular vehicle. 
and maybe they're not even uh, they're not even that visible. Uh, I remember when my daughter was interested in buying a motorcycle um, to travel in California, um, and I relented just in going shopping with her and. Um, trying to convince her that this was not a good idea in California um, to be riding a motorcycle on the freeways. Um, and the, the salesman, thank goodness, told her that uh, if she buys a motorcycle and she goes out on the freeways, she should assume that she's invisible. Just, just assume that. And so I remember that as a as a kind of lesson in how you can practice, that you can be practicing, and maybe even it would be wonderful to practice in a way that you were invisible, that it was gorilla, gorilla zen. You were, you were being, you were practicing this way without all of this stuff that I've got. Uh, or and, and sometimes the people who are looking like this, are not <laughs> practicing very well. Uh, they've managed to jump through some hoops uh, and convince others that, they, that they're worthy of this, but in the end it turns out that maybe they're not as, maybe they're looking for all the credentials, but not really have the heart of Zen. So one of the... Um, one of the lessons here, the learnings here, is to let go of any attachment to Buddhism, to being a Buddhist, um, and to be really a gorilla, um, to practice in secret. Uh, it's a real test of practice. Uh, to, to see it's kind of like when you have a dog on a leash and it all, it, you're all, it's always on a leash wherever you go and you say wow this dog is always with me uh, never leaves me and then having to let go of the leash and taking the leash off and then see whether the dog is going to hang with you. That's a, that's a test. So if you're attached, if you're making this attachment, so same with children, there's a way of keeping that attachment and, 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 and not really seeing what would, without that leash what would happen. So without all of this, without calling yourself a Buddhist, um, letting go of that, uh, that attachment to this practice. Whether you'd still practice, whether you'd be, you know, Buddha wasn't a Buddhist. He was a guy who found this way and was liberated. And we don't have to call ourselves anything, as we read today in the Instructions to Meditation. We're really just practicing to be fully realized human beings. And if you want to call that Zen or Buddhism, wonderful. But don't attach. Don't attach to that. 
So I've been I've been trying to um, to keep my promise of talking about my experience in Japan, but and maybe this is a way of talking about that, but. I often have to talk about things that are what Gil Fransdale calls the issues at hand. And last week at tea, <clears throat> Michael announced that he was probably going to take a job in, was it North Carolina? Yeah. Um, and that, that bothered me. Um, so this, I, this whole notion of attachment began to loom large for me because I'm attached to him. <laughs> I mean, we don't really know each other that well, but I'm definitely attached to him. And then remembering that Patty may be going, um, and Pete is definitely going, <laughs> And Max is already gone, <laughs> but he happens to be back. And Ed had been talking about moving out west. Are you still thinking about that? It's, it's on the potential. Okay. So suddenly, I mean, almost every... Judy, you're not going anywhere. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and Kelly just... Bought a townhouse, so she's she's not going. <laughs> Laura is probably going at some point, but maybe. And Shulong, yeah, she's she's actually <laughs> moved. <laughs> and I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> you know, who knows? <laughs> so I kind of live. This is the issue at hand for me. I kind of live with this sense of, you know. My attachments to our sangha are not the same as my attachments, say, to my daughter uh, or to this place, um, but they're strong. Uh, they're strong, even though I don't know people very intimately. And so I began thinking about, okay, how how am I... How am I going to let go of, of this? Uh, how am I going to practice with this anticipation that... And this is, this is happening all the time here, uh, as some of us who have been here for a while see people coming and going all the time. So it's, it's okay, there's another one going. <laughs> no, you kind of grasping. No, you've got to stay. You know, you've, you're... You're an experienced practitioner. It's important that you that you continue to keep this place alive and keeping the Dharma alive and and making us keeping the Sangha together. And so, beginning to beginning to think about uh, consider attachment and. The often Zen is often criticized for advocating detachment, that is letting go. And the criticism is often 
Well, that kind of means that you don't care. If you're just in a constant state of detachment, uh, if you're just always letting go of things, and uh, that that's like being numb or being unfeeling or not loving, not being connected. And... First of all, I'd ask you to consider this notion of attachment and how it expresses itself in the things that you're attached to. Um, And certainly there are things that we're attached to, objects, maybe they're um, family heirlooms or something special that somebody gave you. And that it's that's a thing that present that that thing that was in your family or that some friend gave you or your parent who is no longer alive gave you and that thing carries a lot of significance for you and the idea that it would break or that it would disappear I actually have a watch uh, that might beloved grandmother gave me that I put in a very safe place so safe that I can't find it (laughs) and it's troubling because it meant a lot to me (laughs) but it's gone and I I think about it periodically and, and wish that I could hold it and have all of that those memories of her in my hand but you know it's it's gone so there are things that we're attached to and maybe you're a person who gets attached to to things to objects that you couldn't imagine parting with or places that have a very special special significance for us and there was a place in the woods that I used to live in just a, a, a clump of white birch trees that I used to go to when I really was upset and I would I would go in the middle of all of the five birch trees and I would just cry and cry and hold the the trunks of the trees and they they were all cut down by the highway that I-99 that came through Um, my place was my special place which I would go to, to visit when I was upset Um, that's gone Um, so some of us are you know there's a place maybe our homes that we are really attached to that could cause us great grief if they disappeared or if if we had to leave and then of course there are people um, and we tend to get really attached to people I mean maybe maybe there's a hierarchy where things, okay, places, okay, people, mm. there are people in our lives that children, parents, friends, uh, the idea that <clears throat> we would no longer be connected with them, they would no longer be in our lives, that you know, it really would be hard to let go of. Um, and it just occurred to me that there are 
things that people say, something that somebody would say to us that we grab onto and we can't let go. We just remember that, that thing that that person said or did, some action that someone took that is just unforgivable. Or the opposite was just so amazing that we hold them to that. You know, you've got to behave that way. You did this wonderful thing and and I expect that from you. So there are so many ways uh, that we can try to possess things. Try to possess our friends, possess our parents, possess the places that we live in, possess, um, yeah, just objects in our lives. So I'm inviting you to consider your attachments, your the things that you, people, places, things that have happened in the past that just keep keep re, re, you keep revisiting them or keep holding tight onto them um, <clears throat> what's wrong with that and we feel really connected and this is very precious. This person is very precious. This thing is very precious. This place is very precious. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that except that you're going to suffer from that. Because inevitably, you're going to lose it one way or the other. You're going to lose everything you love, everything you want to possess. In one way or another, it's all going to change, and you're you're going to lose it. And if you if you're hanging on, you're going to suffer. But does that mean that you can't connect with that thing or person, or you can't value and love and feel very close to those things? No, it doesn't mean that you have to be detached in a kind of numb or a kind of neutral way toward everything. It's just that you connect with those things knowing that they're going to be gone, which makes them even more precious in a strange way. So letting go, we talk about letting go a lot. Letting go is not so much this kind of act in which there's a kind of immediate go away. (laughs) Uh, It's not just an immediate uh, opening your hand and rejecting something or saying, okay, uh, um, I'm not attached to you at all. It's a way of being connected. A way of, it's a kind of constant sense that this is impermanent. It's not a single action of 
letting go. Sometimes it has to be that. Uh, it has to be because it's a surprise. And we're hanging on, hanging on, and hanging on. And then suddenly the whole thing disappears and there's nothing there. So we have to just let it go. But if we practice being with things and people and places with the awareness that this is impermanent, that it's not a good idea to possess, to cling, then when we do have to let go, which is inevitable, it won't make us suffer so much. There'll still be some sense of loss. But my practice here has been, it happens so frequently that people come and they seem to be like permanent pillars <laughs> of the Sangha. And then suddenly there's an announcement. I'm going, I'm leaving. Slowly but surely, I am, I am more and more able to be with our Sangha members in such a way that when these announcements are made, I don't suffer so much. It's not that I don't feel that sense of loss, but because I haven't held on that tight all the way through, because I've I've kind of held the thing like this, when I actually have to open fully, it's easier. Not not a piece of cake by any means, but I, I, it's easier to open that hand completely. But if it's like this, and inevitably it's going to have to open, it will be... I will be suffering having to, to open that, that fist. I, I will have been too rigid in my desire to possess. So this is our practice when we speak about sitting on our cushion and watching thoughts come and go. Watching sensations come and go. Watching emotions come and go. We begin to practice. Not that these aren't, you know, we register them. Yes, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling anxious. Uh, I'm thinking about Michael leaving. Yeah. Thinking about Patty leaving. I'm thinking about, you know, Shulong moving out. I'm thinking about all these things, but not in a way that grips when Shulong came and told me with tears in her eyes that she had to move, um, I was pretty much okay. Although I miss you being here, I really was genuinely able to say, it's okay. It's okay. And I may have had that practice with my daughter, who lives 3,000 miles away, and when she left at the age of 21, um, oh, she was just going 
to take a trip to California in my car, and she'd be back. She never came back. So at some point, I had to applaud. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Go. Have a, have a great life. Um, not easy, but this is our practice. Uh, we want to relieve our suffering and practicing this attitude, this approach to things that we just know they're going to change and disappear. And so we value, we value the preciousness of it. It's no, no less precious. It's actually more precious because we know we're going to lose it. <clears throat> so we free ourselves, but we also free the people <laughs> who we hang on to. Yeah? We free the things of, in the world, like um, this notion of Indian giving, which I often talk about, uh, which is, is often misinterpreted. I mean, Indian giving is when you give something to someone, you expect it to be given away. In other words, when you're given a gift, it doesn't become yours. It doesn't become what's called capital you know, your possession. That's Indian giving. It's meant to be given forward. So you don't keep it. You give it. You give it. And it's beautiful to give, to give things. So you sort of free things in the world when you pass them on. Even family, you know, you know in family heirlooms and that kind of thing, they're meant to be given to the next generation. Not, not to be held on, onto, but prepared to give away. So you, in not grasping, you free things, you free places to be occupied by others who may find joy in them. Sometimes I, I would feel, this is my private place. Nobody else, nobody else can, I'm not inviting anybody else to come here. But discovering at some point that I'm going to share this place, this special place, with others. It's not meant to be my like secret place, <laughs> my possession. That's, this is our practice. It's, very, it's deep practice to share, to give away, to let go. And then, of course, people. Not that anyone becomes less valuable because you're fine with them leaving. <laughs> but because you want to free them from any sense of guilt or, you know, I don't want a, Michael to feel guilty that he's going on to this new great job. Uh, I want to applaud that. Um, so not only are you freeing yourself, but you're freeing others. You're freeing things. You're freeing places. And it's all about relieving suffering of yourself and others. Sometimes Zen is often called the practice for dying. 
And there's some truth to that. Because when you practice letting go, which is what we're going to have to do, we're all going to have to let go of our lives. Like taxes, right? Death and taxes. <laughs> inevitable. So we're, it's a very rational practice. It's very realistic. It's a very realistic practice. We're preparing to die. But in doing so, we value life that much more. It, it's sort of counterintuitive. If you're pe- preparing for death, you think, life is going to be so miserable and grim and dark and quite the contrary. Life becomes so much more precious than if you thought you were going to live forever and never thought that you were going to have to let go of this. So you really begin to think, how do I want to spend my life? How do I want to devote my days? To what do I want to devote my days? Who do I want to surround myself with? How do I want to, what career do I want to engage in? Because time flies like an arrow. (laughs) That's what it says on the Han. Time flies like an arrow. Be diligent. So, the urgency of how we live becomes so much more powerful when we know we're going to pass. And in our culture, we don't like to talk about that. But in Japanese culture, which is one thing I discovered, it's absolutely part of everything. Um, the, The expectation, the acceptance, and the actual um, valuing of the death experience. So I want to end with a poem by Mary Oliver entitled In Blackwater Woods. And this reminds me of the fire that we had here at Owan uh, in in, uh, 2014. Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds. And every pond, no matter what its name, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this. The fires and the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love 
what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go.